Good morning, everyone. Um, just want to thank our worship team just for uh, just leading us and praising God. Um, so Scott's out, and uh, I'm here, and yeah. So I I, I may have shared this before, um, but I'm a terrible procrastinator. Um, so that's why you have just a picture up there instead of a sermon title. Uh, it's just something to distract you from my face. So <laughs> you can space off and just look at that as I try to blow your ears out right now. Um, I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 12. Um, that's where we've been in youth group. Uh, we've been there for the past, I don't know, year or so, and John, because how it go the snail's pace, it seems like. Um, and as you turn in there, I just want to give you a little bit of, of backstory. If you haven't read the Gospel of John lately, um, chapter 11, uh, Jesus' ministry is really coming to, to, uh, to an end on, on earth. Um, and, and John 11, he, his friend Lazarus uh, dies. And we see him coming and giving him life again. He raises this man from the dead. And, and we see a rejection of Jesus and the Pharisees. Um, that so much that when he raises this man, gives him life again, that they want to put Jesus to death. And we see Jesus anointed by Mary, this complete worship and adoration of Jesus, like complete devotion. And we see uh, Judas scoff at this, kind of a foreshadowing of what's going to happen. And the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, they, uh, they see this crowd that begins to follow him, Jesus, because, because of this miracle they did give this man life and so not only do they seek to kill jesus they they start to plot to kill lazarus as well simply because he's associated with him because they don't want to admit these facts they saw the man dead and now he's alive again they didn't want to admit it so they just wanted to wipe out any evidence and then we see jesus coming in hailed as king fulfilling prophecy victorious, this leader. And we see people that are about to chant the exact opposite, crucify him, praising him, Hosanna. And so this is kind of the signal of this week, the last week that Jesus would be alive on the earth before his crucifixion. And that's kind of the setting that we're in. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to read John chapter 12, verse number 20. Um, through 26. It says, Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, 
it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So again, this, this is leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. The feast is the Passover, and, and all people who were trying to follow God were coming, whether they were ethnic Jews, they were Hebrews, or they were Gentiles. And it says these Greeks came, and, and Jesus, while he was on earth, he was constantly preaching and proclaiming the love of the Father. His work was to the Jews at that time. That's where he stayed. It was in, it was in Israel. And, and this was a sign that it was, it was coming to an end right here. That he was about to go to the cross because these Gentiles came inquiring for Jesus. And we don't know if they got to see him. We don't know what happened because Jesus doesn't really explain anything in that. He just says, the time's come that I may be glorified. Like, here in just a few short days, I will be crucified. And I think it's interesting um, just what's happening here and, 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 and what he explains and goes on to explain here. See, because by now he's been rejected by most of his people. He's got a few following him. A fairly large crowd, as we would think, but the, the majority, especially the leaders of, of the people of that day, had rejected him. And now the Gentiles, the outsiders, were coming to him because they wanted to accept him. You see, he was going to not only preach to just <coughs> and minister to the, the Jews of the day, but to the whole world. I might be glorified. The times come that I may be glorified that the whole world would find salvation. And then he goes on to talk about, his, fore, foretell his death, and then, and then an example of how we ought to live in him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And I, I, want, I want to think for a second. I want to run a rabbit trail for, for quite a while, if you'll uh, just follow me. I want to say that people are strange. I, um, because we consume ourselves with distractions of, of all kinds. Um, and for a second, I want us to even take God out of the picture and just come over here and just look at people as we're born, mi minus God, minus faith and everything. We, we, all, we all just fill ourselves with distractions. And it presents itself in various kinds, whether it's our phones or it's TV or it's work or it's music or books or education or money or family or relationships Success, whatever that looks like, we just fill ourselves with, with just stuff to pass the time. 
And I say we're strange because none of it really does anything for us. I mean, because in the end, I mean, when we die, we might leave a memory, but that's not much. And I say we're strange because in the midst of this, we've accumulated wealth. And like, if you're here today, you're pretty well off here in America. Even if you have nothing, you still have quite a bit. And we're intelligent and we're we're gifted. But even in the midst of all this distraction and all the stuff that we fill our time with and all these gifts that we've been given, we still suffer from anxiety and depression and, and addictions and hopelessness, anger, envy. We're still filled with these, these things that tear us apart and keep us up at night and they, and they steal our time. And so we try to distract ourselves more with other things just to escape this stuff that's going on inside our head. And we're strange because it's all empty. It's all meaningless. And if we take God out of the picture, we're left with absolutely nothing. And we put our faith in those things. And when we start doing that and we start following after other religions and we start following after work and family and relationships and we start trying to put meaning into our lives, we come up with nothing still because if we take it to the furthest point, when we die, we're still left with nothing without God. I say we're strange because we all do it. Like we're just spinning a wheel hoping for something and gaining nothing. But hopelessness, a lack of direction, a lack of focus, no purpose. And you think, okay, well, let's take God and put him in the picture now. And I would say, as Christians, we should have hope, right? Just think about it. No struggle. We're pretty well off. Um, But if you're like me, you still have that struggle. There's still times in your life where you lay awake till three in the morning just wishing that there's something was different. Even though I have God, even though my love for God has grown over even just these past months, there's still times, even this week, where I was felt hopeless. And we start, cons- and, and, and I talk to people in this church even, and, they, and we start consuming ourselves with, well, I just wish, I just wish I knew God better. I just wish that I loved God more. I wish that my life uh, was, was more sinless, like I wish I was just a more perfect person, that I was more holy. I wish that um, I would understand the Bible better. I wish that I would pray more or better or my prayers would be answered. I wish that I could see God, man, if I could just see him right now, if he would just speak to me right now, then this would cure this emptiness inside me. And I, 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 wish, that, I wish that I knew if it's this sin. I wish all these things and we're still stuck in this hopelessness at times. At least it's that way for me. If you're like, no, I've got it, and I commend you. Because I still feel like a large times, 
we wish we knew God's will for our lives, and we still struggle with that. No purpose. And I'm going to continue this rabbit trail for a little bit and say, and be bold. Say there's no, there's no reason for that. There's, there's no reason for us as Christians, as people who follow God, to have no purpose. There's no reason for it. There's no right in it. We're wrong when we feel that way. Because if you're saved, then you believe this is true, this Bible. And if this Bible is true, then you believe that from creation, God has given us everything he wants us to know. Right here. In the palm of our hands, every single thing that he wants us to know is here. So if you have no purpose in life, and you're just waiting for something, like, it's right here. His word is everything. In fact, it says that. In 2 Timothy 3, um, verse number 16 and 17, it says all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3, it says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. See, if, if we're saved and we have no hope and we're just wanting more, It's all right here. We lack purpose. When I still struggle with that, it's all right here. I don't have to wait for anything. All I have to do is pick it up and look at it. Say, God, show me. Because it's right here. And then I want to say that Scott has been going through Romans, and it's been wonderful because he's kind of been sharing the same thing. And, and in the week's Previous to this, he's talked about the gospel life. And he's talked last week about the church in, in Rome. And what's cool about that was we saw real people living lives, working. They weren't just the apostles going out and sharing God's word and starting churches. They were just people living in Rome's day and, 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 and serving God. They still had their lives. They still had possessions. But they served God. And I've talked about being transformed by loving God so much that our minds renewed through that love of him and that we change. See, as we read through scripture, we see commands to follow God. Jesus constantly, follow me, follow me. In the Old Testament, we see God calling people to follow, but he didn't just call them and he didn't just call us to follow and not give us instruction on how. No, he gave us all instruction, everything that we need to know. It's no secret. So our purpose 
is to love him so much that we serve him. And that's what John's talking about, or Jesus is saying here in John chapter 12. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And so when I read these, normally I go, okay, I must die to self. We have to not, not pursue this life, but pursue a, a life that's godly. Die to self so that I could have life. Okay, so like Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow. Or, or Romans 12, 1 and 2. I mean, these are two verses that I go back to constantly. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of Christ, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind. My testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Or Colossians, where in chapter 3 it talks about putting to death what's earthly in us, our sin, and being transformed, being changed. Because at the time that you're saved, you're a new creation. And that the old has passed, all things have become new, and that we should put to death our sin and put on godly characteristics, godly qualities. And so I could talk about that all day today. But I want to look at that word serve. What does it mean to serve? Service To serve, it's a verb. It's an action. To perform duties or services for another person or organization. To serve God is to perform duties and serve services for him. So I don't want to spend this time talking about what does it mean to serve God. I want to look for a second at how we serve God. How do you serve God? And again, we've been given everything that we need to know. If we want to know how to serve God, he kind of gave us a lot of examples of people serving him. From the time of creation till now, people have been serving God, and it's recorded here of how they did it and what they did. And there's a common theme throughout this, whether we look at Abraham and how he blessed the entire world completely through through his lineage in bringing Jesus, like the covenant that he made with God, blessed the whole world and brought the whole world an opportunity to come to God. Or we look at Moses who took the people of Israel out of Egypt and brought them to God. He said, this, these are the statutes. This is how you should live to know him. And he brought the people to God. Or we go and we look at the lives of Joshua, who continued to. Or we look, but once they were established in the land, the judges and how at various times, like Gideon, they rallied the people of God and brought them to him to serve God. And you could go on and you could talk about people like Esther or Samuel or Elijah or Elisha, kings like David who's a man after God's own heart because he had the people, the kingdom united to serve God. He brought the people to God. 
and prophets like Isaiah, Daniel, who just proclaimed, come, come to God, repent and come to God. So we look at once the kingdom was split and you had Judah as a kingdom and Israel as a kingdom and you had these kings that were either good or bad and the people that were good, they did evil in the sight of the Lord and the good kings did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And as we look at their lives and you read through, as you read through the books of Kings and Chronicles and you see the way these people lived, like Hezekiah, in 2 Kings 18, it says, In the third year of Hosha, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eye of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places and broke down pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke down the pieces of bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it, and he trusted the Lord God of Israel, so that none like him was king, or of all the kings of Judah after him, nor those before him. He came in and he said, no more are we going to worship these false idols but you will serve God. And he made God's word the statute to which the people would live by. He brought the people back to God. Now you look at Josiah and, and, and 2 Kings 22, where, where he restores and he repairs the temple, the place where God would dwell. And they find this book that they apparently just forgot about. And the priests bring it to him and they read it to him. And he's so distraught because he knows that for the past years, the people of Judah had completely forgotten about this. And they were pursuing after their own desires and worshiping idols. And, and he, he's so distraught, he tears his clothes and immediately sends them out to give sacrifices to restore the nation back to God. They served God by bringing people to him. And I mean, isn't this what Matthew chapter 28 is about? The last commandment that Jesus leaves us? Verse number 19, Go, therefore, dis make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Isn't that what serving God is? Taking this word this book right here, and going to people and bringing them to God with it. Isn't that what Jesus' whole ministry was? Being so in love with the Father, so being one with the Father, that he loved humanity so much he would die for us so that the world would have an opportunity to come to God Isn't, isn't that what Jesus proclaimed constantly? When asked what the greatest commandment was, in Matthew 22, verse number 37, Jesus says, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets is this whole Old Testament that we hold today. If everything is dependent upon loving God first, and because you love God, you love others so much that you would bring them to God. Bring God to them. Isn't that what it's about? Isn't that what the apostles did? Isn't that what Paul did? Wasn't that what he tried to, they all tried to to instill into the people that they preached to and that they ministered to as they planted churches? Again, we see the Church of Rome. They were regular people, but they were going and telling their communities about Jesus. I mean, isn't that the purpose that we should have? Do we not share that same call? See, when I'm wallowing in my hopelessness and depression, normally it's because I don't feel like I'm where I should be. I have all these wants. There's things holding me back. I'm clinging to something, and it's not God, but it's this life. And as we turn back in John chapter 12, and we look at Jesus' words, Whoever loves his life loses it. I can tell you one thing, that when I feel down and I am just lost, I feel like I'm losing everything in that moment because all I'm trying to do is hold tightly to what I have. And it manifests its way, itself in various ways from, from, from my job to my personal life. I look and say, why am I not sharing this great love? Why am I not fulfilling this call that I've been given and just letting people know who Jesus is? And because we have all sorts of reasons. Like for me, I work at a middle school, and you know, you're not supposed to bring God into schools. And if I did, you know, I fear that like I might lose my job. But it's not the money that I really fear, because I know I could find a different job, it's the health insurance. Because my health insurance keeps me alive because I've got a condition that I have to have incredibly expensive medication for that I couldn't afford every eight weeks without that. So it keeps me from really being bold when I talk to kids at school or while I deal with my coworkers. See, I'm holding on to the life that I have right now far more at times than the life God offers me. And I mean, that's just one example, and there's several others just for me, but, but what about for you? What's holding you back? Why do you fret? Why are you worried? Why are you consumed with wanting to know what God's will for your life is? What's your purpose? It's to serve him. And I'm not saying that we all just need to sell everything and go on a missions trip or live in one communal house, and we'll just all, you know, we'll figure it out. Like, again, as Scott shared with you last week, the church in Rome were regular people living regular lives, but they had one thing in common. When it says they had all things in common, it was because they were sharing God with people. There was a reason, as we look through the book of Acts, that it says, 
and thousands were added to their numbers at times. It wasn't because of one man. It wasn't because Paul was just preaching out there, hey, everyone, I just really want you to know about Jesus. And everybody was like, man, that sounds really great. I think I'll just go do that. It was because of personal relationships that people were able to talk and say, hey, this is what's going on with me. And this is the beauty in it. See, if our purpose is to bring people to God, we have to look at our lives and say, is that how I live? To serve, it's, it's, it's acting. It's an action. And again, we're not all going to go be evangelists. But I want you to consider, if you love God above all things, why, why don't you share it with people? Are, are you just worried because you don't know how to? Shouldn't it be as simple as, if you're consumed with knowing God, when someone asks you how your day is, you're honest with them? Hey, Don, how's it going? Instead of just saying, fine, be real, be like, it's a struggle right now. You know, I'm trying to memorize verses, you know, like Ephesians 6, 18 and 19, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that the word may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel. And it's not going well because I'm not doing that right now. And I really just want to love God enough that I would be bold. Because when we reel with people and tell them those kind of things, they stop. And they're going to give you two reactions. They'll either listen or they'll walk away. And neither one's really that bad. But the problem is we think those conversations are just for small groups and church settings and with my church friends. Hey, how's it going? And you should really open up like that, thinking that we're really opening up when we share something like that. But what I would challenge you is to have those conversations with anybody that asks. I'm not asking you to just carry your Bible around and go through the Romans road with every person that you meet on the sidewalk and with the cashier because the person behind you is probably going to kill you if you're like, hey, do you have half an hour to uh, hear the gospel? Um, That's not going to work that way. But when you can share little truths, little pieces of scripture, because here's the thing, if it doesn't come back to God's word, if it doesn't come back to his instruction, if it's just my opinions on what this says or my opinions on what someone said about this, There's no power in that. But when you share God's word and how it has affected you, it's far greater than me going like, well, I see you're in sin there, so let's have a come to Jesus meeting. Like, There's times for that. Those times are when you've really developed a relationship with that person, but more often than not, it's years of, how's it going? It's great right now because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I've just been focusing on that, so all this stuff that's happening around me, like, I can deal with it because I have God. And they're able to say, wow, tell me more. Or go, okay, well, I think I'm going to walk over here. And, like, that doesn't matter. Again, if we love this life, we'll lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world 
will keep it for eternal life. And it's not saying that you need to be suicidal, like, oh, I just hate this life. Like, we don't need a bunch of people walking around like, I love Jesus, but man, I just wish that I could die right now. Like, it's not really what we're talking about. It's just having a love of God so deep, so much, that all you can do is talk about it, and that anything that happens negative in this life doesn't matter if you lose your house or your job or whatever God will provide. Because here's the thing, when you're seeking his will in this way and sharing his word and you're just consumed with loving him, A, you're going to be transformed like the whole Bible New Testament talks about. That's going to happen. It might be slow. The process might not look the way you want it, but it's going to happen. And when you're serving God that way, he will bless you and open doors. And here's the thing. It might not look the way you want it because you're still going to have questions. You're still going to be like, okay, I know I need to serve God, and I'm trying to serve God and share my faith with people. But right now, I just not, I want to know where I should do that. Or I, I want to know if there's a specific thing I should be doing and we get caught up in those sometimes, and, th- and those are okay, because we definitely want to be, be, be receptive to the Holy Spirit and where he directs us. But when you're consumed with it so much, and you're just like, God, I just really am praying that I'm not a baker anymore because I want to serve you. He's like, hey, you can serve me right now. Just look out, open your eyes. Sometimes the answers that we want or because we're still holding on to this life too much. And that God will use you wherever you're at, and he will move you to wherever he wants you. But you have to really honestly seek after him. Serving him. Because when you're consumed with serving God, and I'm not talking about just preaching on a Sunday morning for me, or on a Wednesday night teaching. I mean, that's expected. That's understandable. I I risk nothing when I come up here and I speak in front of you guys. I might say something stupid and then you'll ridicule me and not let me come back up here, but that's really not a big deal in in the grand scheme of things. Or Wednesday nights, I speak in front of teenagers constantly like that. Like, I don't risk anything by doing that. It's expected of me. I'm saying just living a full life, whether I'm talking to my family or my friends or my anybody unsaved, just being consumed with being the light, being the salt of the earth, a light set on a hill, and sharing this. And God will use you. But it's important that at all times we're constantly evaluating, am I, am I trying to hold on to what I have now, or am I giving it all away? Am I just giving it all to God? Am I using my house as just something that's going to carry me into success? Or am I using my house as a vehicle to just share God? Am I using my work as something to accumulate wealth or pay the bills or keep me healthy? Or am I using it to serve God? And I'm not saying that you need to just show up to work tomorrow and just spend all your time telling everybody about Jesus because they'll probably fire you because you're not working. I am saying that you should work hard. But in your interactions with the people that you work with, whether it's the public or your coworkers, that you're constantly pointing them back to Scripture in some way, even if it's little verses. 
That's where it's important to memorize scripture. That's when it's important to be transformed. And that's when this whole thing comes together because all scripture is profitable, that we need to examine this. That's why the Old Testament is beautiful because we get to see the way people lived. That's why literally everything in this life is pointless except for God. If you don't have God, you have nothing. That as we look out to the people around us and those people that don't have God and we go, why are they acting that way? Why are they doing this? Or man, I really don't like them because it... Understand, they have absolutely nothing in this life. They could be the richest person on earth or have the most of whatever you love. And they could seemingly be happy with those things. But eventually, it's all going to come to an end because God says, hey, I'm going to destroy this place and create a new earth. New heavens, new earth. Literally everything here doesn't matter. This building we live in, the clothes that I'm wearing, like none of it matters apart from Christ. And if you're here today and you're like, I, I, I'm not saved. I, I, I don't have God. I have no purpose. What you're saying is terrifying because if nothing matters and I have nothing, it's, it's a simple While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he's not waiting for you to be perfect yet. He's just asking you to come. He calls you to serve him, to love him. First and foremost, to experience his love and love him. And then after that, just share that. So I would just challenge you. So examine your lives. This isn't something to just think about when you get home and then just kind of be like, yeah, I should do that. I need to pray about it. If you're saved, you each have a story. You each have an experience that is valuable to every other person because that experience is truth. Your point of salvation was miraculous. You can share that now with anybody. But it's something that we need to act on. Not just sit and listen and think about, but it's something you need to act on. To be changed. So I challenge you to try to do that. To share God's love in some way every single day. And it's hard, and I fail at it miserably. Like I said, most of my days are consumed with saying, uh, hey, hey, kid, what's the square root of nine, and do you remember the, the formula to a triangular pyramid? No, oh, no, you need to divide by three. Like, that's what my day consists of most of the time. But in the moments where I can be personal with someone, shouldn't I share that love that I have? I would challenge you to do the same. I'm going to close with prayer and invite the worship team back up here. God, I just thank you. I thank you for your word, that you've given us great purpose, that you've given us instruction on how to serve you, that your love is so complete that we have all the joy, hope, and peace in this world through you. God, I ask that we would all just step up to the plate 
that we would see revival in this community, revival in the lives of our families and our friends, that we would grow because of your love and your word, that everything comes back to that. And without your word, we have nothing. Without you, we have nothing. But with you, we have everything. We are more than conquerors. We are offered life abundant. I just ask that we would partake of that, that we would serve you with everything we have, forget about this life, so that we would honor you and stand before you one day and you say, well done. I just ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.